Find out how one man's home renovations lead to years of terror for women in New York. everybody it's us we're back i'm lucy i'm Erin, and this is crime and carbs podcast and yeah we are really sorry about not having an episode last week i'm sure there were probably like six of you that were really sad about it <laughs> that might be giving us too much credit <laughs> probably i was out sick i got tested for covid just to be careful but i haven't been that sick in a long time but it came back negative so we're good have you had to get tested yet for no, the Rona. I had to take my son, no. but oh I have my not. Gosh. I've heard it's like the Egyptians, how they used to mummify people, though, with the brain swishing. Yeah, that's and- definitely what I felt like. The nurse, <laughs> too, came in and she was like, uh, okay, so it's going to be 10 seconds. You can do anything for 10 seconds, right? And I was like, yeah, okay. And then I was like, mm, Dina, you lied because it was 10 seconds each nostril. I was like, you don't tell me. Wait, it's- what? That makes yeah. no sense. Why did they have to do each side? Isn't it kind of like a common I don't area know, there? Just to be careful. I'm not sure how it works. I mean, but- I know that there's like separate hallways, but do they have like a universal break room? I don't understand why we're having to do both. <laughs> they have universal break rooms. They should. <laughs> so I'm not sure. But yeah, I was like, she's like 10 seconds. And then I was like, oh, good, I'm done. And then nope, just kidding. Oh, no. Liar. So it was horrible but I appreciate her being willing to do that because that's probably not a fun job either so anyways uh get tested people if you're sick it was not a great time but I'm better now and I'm glad we didn't record because I sounded like a frog it was disgusting I mean I think it might have been entertaining no I texted Aaron and I was like all the congestion in my head is now draining (laughs) it's just really gross so it's been fine but uh the world's been super crazy lately especially in our country. So that's been fun. But I hope that you can come here and find a breath of fresh air by discussing murder stories and food. (laughs) (laughs) So that's where we're at today. But hopefully this makes you feel some sort of happiness. I mean, it makes me feel happy. Maybe not happiness. (laughs) Happiness is probably not the right word. (laughs) I hope it's a good distraction. Yeah, there we go. Speaking of death, Something came up in a conversation with my brother the other day. I'm not sure how, but he told me that there's this thing where if you have a loved one that dies, that's like older, they'll, people will put those dead people like in their freezers so that they can keep collecting on their social security checks. (laughs) What? Yeah. Isn't that horrible? That heck a big freezer too. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Right. But so then I looked into it and there's only actually been like a few known cases of that happening. But I feel like now that I'm thinking about it, it's probably, there's probably been quite a few people that have done that. I don't know. That's so creepy. Yeah. And one lady, I looked this up, she had the most recent, she uh, got caught this past May and she had kept her grandma in the freezer for 15 years. 15 years. Yeah, 15 and was collecting all her social security (sighs) checks. That is way too long. It's really freaky. Yeah. So that's a, that's a random fun death fact. (laughs) Don't be doing that to your loved ones if they die. (laughs) Okay, everybody, you don't need the money that bad. Maybe you do, but there's other ways. (laughs) 
Go work at Chick-fil-A for crying out loud. There are yeah, other Chick-fil-A's. things you could do. Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A people are so pleasant, notch. man. They are amazing. We love Chick-fil-A. Did you see did you see all the memes going around that were like if the Chick-fil-A employees had been in charge of counting the elections, it would have been Okay, I haven't seen it for elections. Forever. I heard like even COVID testing if Chick-fil-A uh, drive through people were over that and I'm like, Amen. Seriously. Because our drive through is <laughs> amazing. Speaking of food, today we're going to be covering a recipe, and I was in charge of this one this time, so I picked something super easy and delicious. I made cookies and cream rice krispies, or Oreo rice krispies, however you want to call them. Basically, they're rice krispies with Oreos in them, and they, they are, are so good, delicious. These things are super massive and gooey, and they're definitely like a go-to Friday night snack for me and Tanner because they take like five minutes to make so make sure you stick around for our carb conclusion today on those rice krispies and make sure you check it out on the website the recipe and make them and tell us if you do make them because that would be fantastic so now to our story which starts off in 2001 with a 26 year old caucasian woman named jennifer in syracuse new york Jennifer had by no means lived an easy life. By the time she was 17 years old, she had already given birth to two children and she was just trying to get by as best as she could. And the stress of everything turned Jennifer to drug and alcohol abuse. And one night after clocking out at her job at Outback Steakhouse, Jennifer went to her best friend's house where they drank and smoked weed, which was a pretty typical night for the two friends. And late into that night, Jennifer eventually decided to head home which she did on foot. And while walking through town, Jennifer became somewhat weary as a few younger guys were catcalling her and saying some pretty awful things walking behind her. And honestly, I don't know about you, but any woman in that type of situation is going to feel on edge. I mean, it's dark. She's alone. She probably doesn't even have a cell phone since it's 2001, which makes me sound like it was 2001. Yeah, some of us were alive at that point, Lucy. Okay, you know what? I was six. <laughs> okay. But I don't feel like I remember people having cell phones at that time. I don't know. Maybe they did, but I don't feel like it was pretty common. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's walking alone and has all these guys following behind her. It's a pretty freaky situation to be in. So she was feeling even more vulnerable, though, because she had been drinking and smoking. And so she wasn't you know, didn't have a really clear head anyways, which made it even more terrifying. And so partway into her walk home, a car pulled up to her and rolled down the window. Mm. Mm. Yeah. More specifically, a Ford Comet Mercury. And this was a super distinctive car, which just make a mental note of that, since they only made them from 1960 to 1977. And Jennifer looks into the car to see an older white man who then asked her if she needed a ride home. And I would have loved for Jennifer at this point to have been a true crime podcast listener <laughs> and to known to just like scream out no and start hauling booty in the opposite yeah, direction. no kidding. But unfortunately, that isn't what happened. And Jennifer got into the car. And what seemed to be... No. I know. And she, I mean, he seemed to be an innocent, nice old man. And she thought it was a better option than continuing her walk home in the dark with the other guys falling behind her. And so she decided to get in. Both not great options. No. But ladies, just don't get in the car. Actually, nobody, just anybody don't get in the car. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. And after driving for a few minutes with this guy, Jennifer obviously began to panic because she saw that he clearly wasn't taking her to where she had told him to go. Mm -hmm. So many cringies. No, 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 no. So many cringies. I just, I've thought about that situation if I was put in that scenario so many times and like just... I don't even know what you would do. Uh, 
I mean, I would think in an older car like that, couldn't you pop the... Well, I mean, but then you're like barrel rolling out of a moving vehicle. But probably a better option. Yeah. Especially considering what's about to happen. So <sighs> the next thing she knew, she's starting to freak out, right? But the next thing she knew, she was passing out because some sources mentioned that the man may have used chloroform to knock her out, but ultimately his method in rendering her, rendering her unconscious is still unknown. But speaking of chloroform... She didn't even get a chance to like pop the little walk. No, she she really didn't have any time. He had already had a plan on how to get her knocked out. So speaking of chloroform, though, just for a minute, you know how in all the movies someone will just put a rag over like a victim's face for literally seconds and it knocks them out? So I found out that that's total bogus because it actually takes around five minutes of direct inhalation of chloroform for that to actually happen. Are you serious? Yeah. I had no idea. They always show, I mean, 10 seconds and... They're like on the floor. They're gone. Yeah. Nope. That's not how it works. Also, if anybody looks into my Google search history, (laughs) like if the FBI ever looked into it, they'd be like, so this chick's looking up who's, who's killed people off and kept them in freezers for social security checks and also, (laughs) and also chloroform and also chloroform. So that's cool. Anyways. So back to Jennifer, she's in the car. She's clearly just, you know, aware now that this guy is bad news. And the next thing she knows, she's waking up in a cold, disgustingly dirty, dimly lit concrete room that appeared to be a basement. And Jennifer obviously looks to the only door in the space and was horrified, but obviously not surprised to find that it was locked. But being stuck in a dingy room by herself was the least horrible part of her new reality. Very quickly, Jennifer's kidnapper made it clear what his purpose of taking her was. The man visited her several times a day in the well-locked dungeon, and without fail, he would rape her every single day, sometimes even multiple times a day. Oh, I feel so sad for her. Yeah. That's such so a miserable existence. He basically had turned her into a sex slave. That's pretty much what it was. And she was stuck and she had no way of getting out. And honestly, this is literally my worst nightmare because, I mean, obviously the thought of getting taken and murdered is beyond terrifying, but I think the idea of being trapped long term with someone just abusing you like that day after day with no hope of getting out and just not even knowing if that person is going to ever let you out or if he's going to kill you, I feel like that's just like a whole different level of torture. Yeah. That's awful. So that's... That's awful. He told Jennifer that he was part of a sex trafficking ring. Actually, speaking of it kind of being like a sex slave thing, he had convinced her that he was part of the sex trafficking ring and that his bosses included people who worked at the police department and other individuals that were in power. And he had Jennifer basically convinced that she would eventually be sold off. And he even showed her passports of other women trying to prove it to her that she wasn't the first and basically to ensure that she knew she wasn't getting out. Ah, so it's, but that's just it. It's not even the physical abuse. It's the like mental abuse. Oh, wait, is any of that true? I, uh, they will get to that. Okay. But it is freaky that he's got all these random women's passports. Yeah. I mean, he's just, yeah. So his story was believable and that's kind of, you're exactly right. It was It was also just a mental game Mm -hmm. to keep her from trying anything and to keep her submissive. So if Jennifer ever did refuse to do exactly what he wanted, which sometimes included like helping him with menial tasks and things like that, but also if she was ever trying to fight back, she would be punished either by leaving her in complete darkness for extended periods of time or he even a few times burned her with a cigar. 
Oh. Yeah. On several occasions, he also turned off all the extra airflow into the room that he had set up, which he had done because obviously if this was a basement, it didn't have any windows. It was a dark, dingy room with a steel door. And so there wasn't really any airflow, which was terrifying for Jennifer. And so if she wasn't ever doing what he wanted, he would turn off that airflow for a while just to kind of freak her out and See, get her back the in mind line. games, man. This is like <clears throat> mental warfare on her. Yeah. And she had no control over it, which is probably the worst part. I mean, the only control that she had was to just do what he said and to not fight back, mm. which is horrible. I feel like you just have to be numb at that point. Not to mention, I have claustrophobia. I don't know about you, but oh yeah, I that would freak me out. Cannot handle being in tiny spaces, even elevators. Not my jam, unless it's on Guardians Sleeping of the Galaxies bags? at Disneyland. Oh, sleeping bag? Can you sleep in a sleeping bag? I cannot. It makes me I do for a second, but then I I always end up unzipping it and just putting it on as a blanket. Uh, Yeah, see? Yeah, because it's like, oh, I can't move. (laughs) You said that I'll judge it for sleeping bags, and then you're like, oh, well, I unzip the whole thing and use it as a blanket. (laughs) Oh, really? Really? (laughs) Do you? You can't sleep in a sleeping bag? I wasn't judging you. No, I can't. I agree with you. (laughs) Claustrophobia. Even sometimes my feet feel claustrophobic. In socks? Okay, that's no, a like little too shoes. Far for Like me. if I've been wearing shoes for a really long time, I'm like, my feet feel really stuck right now. My toes are screaming inside my socks. Yes, they are. <laughs> so then I have to take them off. Sometimes I do that at work. It's fine. Oh my god. <laughs> Anyways, you just got to know Lucy on a whole new level. Yeah, it's great. Anyways, poor Jennifer is stuck in this room, and so I'm just like, I would f- be freaking out. I don't know how you don't have panic attacks constantly, and. Although Jennifer despised her captor, he was also the only person that she had to talk to. And she had no idea how long she had been there in there or anything. But she eventually started talking to this guy and they would even read the Bible together. She also taught him how to play poker. I'm sorry. Can we just stop for a second? This guy that has a chick locked in the basement He's he's reading the Bible. Oh, apparently. Her? I mean, I don't know how those pages didn't just burst into flames as he was like trying to. Flip apparently, he thought that was his saving grace or something. I don't know. Uh, I'm just gonna horrible. blink a lot now. Move on. Blink, blink, blink. <laughs> yeah, but so she didn't want to be his friend. But when you're alone for that long, you kind of become desperate. And uh, she, I mean, it wasn't necessarily Stockholm syndrome because she still hated him and knew that she didn't like him but it's like she just talked for the sake of talking well yeah she didn't want to necessarily be in solitary confinement she still wanted some sort of social interaction and i can see if you're gonna be trapped with somebody trying to make the best out of that situation yeah and and also if she had a better relationship he was probably at least a little nicer to her i would think exactly that was my thought too it's like well now i know that he does x y and z if i don't comply or if i'm not um you know doing what he wants to and so i'm gonna be try and be overly kind or whatever but one day the sexual abuse stopped and after a few more days the man put a blindfold on her and drove her back to town and released her wait what yeah super uncommon right wasn't expecting it to go there but it did it did how long did he have her great question two months she was in there and then it just stopped. And then he just just was done with her and took her back. So obviously he wasn't part of a sex trafficking ring. And he clearly had a lot of confidence <laughs> that she wouldn't go and tell anyone or that he was safe. Which wow. also I think kind of boasts of the fact that he really didn't think what he was doing was that bad. That even if he did get caught, that it wouldn't be a big deal. Because I don't know very many 
kidnappers like that who'd been doing that to that extent will just release their prisoners. Yeah, and it's not like he's been wearing a mask or anything. I mean, she has seen his face. She's seen right? his face, yeah. She however, she doesn't know his name. She doesn't, she doesn't know, know where he lives. Right. Yeah. She was which, wearing a blindfold, but Yeah, which turns out to be a problem. And he actually did threaten her multiple times. He said, you know, if you go and tell the police or tell anyone for that matter, I know where you live now and I will I will find you and I will hurt you and your family. And so he's making these threats and just believing that she's not going to go tell anybody. However, Jennifer did confide in her aunt and she told her aunt everything that had happened. And her aunt reminded her that they had a friend who worked in the police department. And so she had convinced her to go and at least just tell them what had happened. And this didn't go great for (laughs) Jennifer. So, I mean, there are a few issues with her talking to the police about this. First and foremost, like I said before, she didn't know his name. She didn't know where he lived. The only thing she could tell them was that he had a 1975 Mercury Comet because she had seen the car when he had picked her up. And luckily she knew exactly what kind of car it was. And she thought she knew the year that it was. And so police do a little bit of research to see if anyone in the area had registered that specific car, but they didn't find anything. And that was basically the extent of the police efforts into this case. Dang. Yeah. That's disappointing. It's super disappointing, and it's only going to get more disappointing, honestly. I do want to mention here, though, that anybody who's listening that's listened to lots of true crime podcasts know that it's not super uncommon for law enforcement to brush off cases where the victim has been known to be, you know, involved in drugs or who have a criminal history, and that's exactly what happened in this case, so... Yeah, and I just, when you just reiterated that, that made me think, this woman has just gone two months without drugs, cold turkey. Oh, so I yeah, think that's, that's a good an, point. Yeah, like that's another added element she was probably dealing with while being held captive. I don't imagine that was easy oh, either. Oh, for sure. No, anybody who you've talked to that has to go through drug rehabilitation or anything like that, that is awful yeah horrible and i mean typically they at least have some prescriptions and things that can help offset that but i mean to have to do it cold turkey while also having all of this other physical mental like all of this stuff going on i just can't even imagine she was hit no, so much that just was an added an added hurt yeah <laughs> i guess everything else going on and jennifer lived in complete fear after that she was constantly wondering if he was going to find her because he had dropped her off close to where she lived. So he knew where she was. And so she was scared about that. And she was also worried, you know, what if he's going to take somebody else? So she wasn't wrong to think that because in October of 2002, a 16-year-old black teenage girl had gone missing. And some sources said that she was a runaway initially, that she hadn't been seen for a little while, but that she was still missing. And eventually she was picked up by the same man in the same car. And this time, the man nicknamed the girl Mika. And this is because we never actually found out what her name was just due to the fact that she was underage and they never um, they never released that information. So we don't oh, know okay. what her actual name was. But he nicknamed her Mika. And Mika's experience was very similar to Jennifer's. But Mika actually won over the man's affection and managed to gain his trust pretty quickly. So much so that he let her out of the locked room to go to other areas of the house, which he definitely didn't do with Jennifer. 
but he trusted her enough and had a relationship with her to the point where he allowed her to do that. He is getting more and more confident. Yeah. And you've, I have seen this in Criminal Minds episodes. This is going to come back to bite him in the butt. Of course I'm glad it is. he's letting it happen, obviously. But yeah, no, I'm glad he's stupid. It's just in such a short amount of time to have that much of a change and have and be that confident that she's not going to try to do anything. It just baffles it me. crazy. But I do think it speaks once again to the fact that he really didn't think what he was doing was that bad. He almost yeah. saw it as a friendship or like a favor mm-hmm. to them. And I also think Jennifer being released and him realizing nobody had come for him probably just oh, built up that ego even more. Exactly. And so this relationship was being built, which I think Mika must have known that the more she talked to him and the more she confided in him, the better her life was going to get. And so she had done that and he trusted her so much that he started taking her out of the house with him what? on errands and other things like that. Yeah, she he just started taking oh her with him. Oh my word, I cannot. On one such occasion, they went to a karaoke bar where she actually even got up and sang in front of people. Okay, I'm sorry. What, 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 what? He took his chick to a bar. They are seeing how I... Yep. How is this happening? He's like taking her out on recreational activities and she can't like spell help me with ketchup or anything. I know. And uh, he really, I really don't think he thought that anyone was going to notice or even that anyone had, you know, paid any attention that she was gone. She didn't look too scared though, I would think if... If she was seeing karaoke. If she's been out and about multiple times with this guy... She, I guess, hasn't signaled anyone for help yet. No, not yet. Not up to that point. But people later did report that they had remembered seeing her singing at karaoke, which I'm like, yo, people, if you're at a bar and you see this old guy bring a 16-year-old with you, you should probably do some digging or call the cops. Just as a side note. I, I don't know. I just can't even imagine this guy he just he has guts that he's hauling her around to places like this that's what's baffling me yeah that he obviously does not think he's gonna get caught because he's hauling her all over the place all over the place and it he did it multiple times then on april 9th of 2003 which had been six months at this point since the girl was taken the kidnapper took her with him to turn in bottles that he'd been collecting for money and once they arrived at the store mika told the man that she needed to use the bathroom and so she walked to the back where she was able to quickly secretly call her sister on the store's phone and she told her sister that she'd been kidnapped she needed help and then she hung up mika's sister was smart enough to immediately call the number back which the store owner answered at that point and the sister told him to immediately call 911 when police arrived the pair had already left but with help from i know dang it (laughs) so close but it was okay because with help from the store workers they were able to track down the car with both the man and the 16 year old girl inside so after six months she was finally safe breath of fresh air So as police began their investigation, what they found was incredibly disturbing. The man was identified as 68-year-old John Jamelski. And I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of background on John and kind of what led up to all of this. So John was born on May 9th of 1935 in an eastern suburb of Syracuse, New York. So he'd kind of stayed in the same area his whole life. And growing up, he was very quiet and withdrawn. He didn't seem to stand out in academics. He didn't participate in any extracurriculars. He just kind of laid low. And he graduated from Fayette High School in 1953, after which John decided to follow his father's footsteps and become a watchmaker, which 
Aaron, did you know that you can get a degree in watchmaking? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, let me take that back. He got the degree in watchmaking in 1955 from Morrisville State College. And I looked into this. You can't actually get a degree in like an accredited university really for that degree anymore. You, But there's like two schools specifically for watchmaking that you can go to but back in the day you could go to school for watchmaking it's kind of interesting to just see how things have transitioned because i know back then you would go to school for like a very specific career i mean when you went and got a degree in something it was for that specific career whereas now i feel like you get a degree in a specific area but it's a little more versatile you know if you don't like this occupation linked directly to it there's probably 10 other occupations you can do with your degree so thank goodness for that because yeah we call that wordsmithing on a resume (laughs) (laughs) it's like oh you need me to be good at sales let me talk about how i have never done sales but i have done this and this and this i think yeah, that's you, good though because if you had gone to school for watchmaking and then you're like mm, turns out i don't know how to tell time and this isn't for me then you're well what else you can do with watchmaking um, i mean which is hilarious because that's exactly what happens so after oh, earning his awkward. degree in watchmaking <laughs> he proceeded to actually work in a job that had nothing to do with watchmaking he had a, a few different ones but most of the time he's working at local grocery stores so apparently the watchmaking thing didn't pan out the way he wanted it to so After he graduated, he met Dorothy Richmond, who was a young school teacher, and they were married in 1959. They soon purchased a home and had three children together. John was always known for his frugal nature. He was always doing everything he could to save money. It appeared that John lived fairly, you know, non-eventfully. He didn't have like a crazy life or anything until he entered into his 50s. John lost his job and began collecting bottles and cans to take to the local recycling centers. He even arranged with local libraries to keep food coupons out of magazines for him. So neighbors would actually see him out and about scouring for recyclables. And it appears that he began to show hoarder type tendencies within his home. So he had a ton of stuff, thousands of bottles and and things like that just laying everywhere. So he was kind of a, yeah, he was kind of just a keeper of items and women apparently yeah so creepy guy but aside from losing his job john also began having an open affair with a teenager who he would even bring to family functions i'm sorry what yeah like his wife would just sit by what was her name judy (laughs) Judy? was it judy it was now i just dorothy sorry dorothy yep okay dorothy Dorothy. i mean girl (laughs) Yeah, but just from what I know about this guy, she probably didn't have a lot of say in a lot of things. And she was probably a little terrified. She had to get her little hiney out the door. Yeah, she should have. But bless her soul. Poor Dorothy. I know. But yeah, this this guy guy is a rat. I'm sorry. He is a... But also at this point, I did the math and this is in the 80s at this point when he's in his 50s. And I'm like, dude, if my if my family member showed up with a teenager and he's in his 50s, I would have been calling the police on his booty like no what the heck? yeah messed up nobody said anything and so. like as far as we know this guy had a fairly normal yeah normal life besides until that until now. he had basically a midlife crisis on steroids so i mean go buy yourself a car don't don't get into stuff like this no what the heck? <sighs> yeah awful guy but poor dorothy just had to sit by so his family kind of knew he was weird but they didn't know the extent of it by any means and 
According to the New York Daily News, it was during this specific time frame that he also gained an additional hobby beyond collecting bottles. John Jamelski built a massive fence around his yard. So I'm going to show you this picture of this fence. And do you want to describe that to everybody for me? This is weird. Yeah, so he's on this street with like just cute, quaint little houses. And you can see the houses on both sides of this small street. And most, I mean, I would, I will say, first of all, most of the homes sit right in the very middle of all their lots. But John's house sits way to the back, like tucked way back in all these trees. And then what's weird is none of these other homes have fencing around them and John's house has this fence around the whole thing like this tall really dark fence and it's kind of hard to tell from this picture it's a little blurry but you can tell that there's a fence on the back of all of these properties just because there's a highway behind there but it almost looks like John has fenced within the fence yeah it definitely does he's like gone to extreme fencing. lengths to make sure that no one can see in his yard yeah and also like tree ratio i mean even look at the front of his house he has a bush he has wall a along the trees whole in the road. beginning yeah yeah it's weird weird situation and if i saw a neighbor doing that i'd be like so what's going on because either you yeah. really don't like any of us or you're doing something you're trying to hide yeah that's that's definitely strange and as weird as that is that's not the only change john made to his home so he also began digging a bunker behind his house so when curious neighbors questioned john about the project he told them it, that it was a storm shelter and his family thought the addition was just kind of a novelty feature for the house and that they had often referred to it as sort of a bomb shelter his son even helped him in some of the initial work on it um and from what I can tell, the bunker was completely underground, so it wasn't noticeable from outside the home, you know, once it was completed. Nobody could even see it or even know that it was there. It's not like it was like a cellar that was above ground at all where there were doors. There was nothing from his yard that was going into it. Okay, public service announcement right now. If your husband has a midlife crisis, starts dating teenagers, and then starts digging out a bomb shelter run Get the heck out of town. Run, 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 run. Yeah. Probably burn the house down too. Just saying. What the heck? So reports on this bunker vary, but from the majority of what I've seen, the access point for the bunker was in the basement behind a shelving unit. (laughs) Because that's not weird. Like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde crap right there. I'm just saying. Like, let's build a secret door behind a bookshelf in the basement. And here's the thing. I get that you think it's a bomb shelter or a man cave or whatever, but are you not occasionally just like, hey, honey, what football game are you watching? Like, check in on your people. Yeah, no. And that's the other thing. His family totally had no idea. Nobody, everybody knew he would spend time down in there. So his whole family is like knew it was home there. and living there while he's trapped. At least at women. the beginning, yeah. And so, yeah, this we'll is, get to that. This we'll is messed up on so many levels. <laughs> so back to the bunker, though. A still door is what he had because why would you get anything besides a still door when you're trying to keep people in there yeah and it opened to a six to eight foot tunnel that led to the bunker so it wasn't even like directly behind this bookshelf he had the bookshelf then a still door then a six to eight foot tunnel that went into the bunker holy cow i mean yeah i guess which would kind of explain why you couldn't hear anything either oh for sure and this space was not huge though the tunnel itself you had to probably crawl on your hands and knees to go through it which led to yet another still door before opening to the actual bunker so 
really oh if anybody word. wanted to get in there you had to like crawl on your hands and knees and i think his family was just like this seems extensive but okay if we yeah. ever have a situation we'll all be safe i don't know wow so the bunker itself once again the dimensions kind of vary depending on where you looked for research but the bunker was approximately eight feet tall 24 feet long and 12 feet wide and i don't know about you but i'm also really just I don't know why I said also. It's because I already know that you are this way. Awful at like estimations and math. Things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, we're both like that. So but I did look into kind of what could compare to this to give you a visual of how big this space was. And the longest side of this space was about the length of what a giraffe would be tall. Well, that's so, actually very helpful. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but when you think about that, I mean, a giraffe is a tall animal. But when you're talking about the space of a room. Not yeah, huge. Needless to say, it wasn't very big. And to enter the room, you'd have to turn around and step down a small ladder onto a wooden box on the floor. So it was just a really weird setup. So even if there, his family was like, let's go check out what football game he's watching in this man cave. Once I get to the tunnel, I would be like, yeah, I've burned too many calories. This yeah, is probably I don't want to do it anymore. I mean, really, that's a lot of work just to get into this little bunker oh, thing. Oh, for sure. And so... As you already know by now, this was the space John used to keep his victims. And in the first room, there was a raised wooden platform with an old stained bathtub on top of it. And I also sent you a picture of these. So I just feel like I'm getting lead poisoning from looking at it, but it's fine. Um, the bunker didn't have any plumbing. So if water was put in the bathtub when it was let out of the drain, it just poured all over the cement floor. And I don't know if you've ever spent much time in an unfinished basement space, but I know, you know, they're always cold and damp and muggy filling. Musty, musty. Yeah. And I'm sure there was mold and grossness. Like there's a reason you put food in a, in a, you know, basement cellar because it keeps it moist. Yeah. I'm, it is, it's like grossing me out looking at this picture, honestly. Yeah, I don't put those on the website or on our social media, but it's disgusting. And so there wasn't any plumbing. Let's go back to that point, because in another photo that we have on here, there's kind of like a little, it looks like a walker almost, like, you know, like what somebody would use, like if they needed help. I don't know. And then there's a bucket. So I mean, any guesses on what that was used for? I mean, you can tell this is supposed to be used as a very, very crude toilet. Like, I just... But that's the other thing. You're literally going to the bathroom in this bucket. Plus, you've probably got water everywhere that's moldy. And then sometimes he turns off any ventilation that you have. Oh, yeah. I mean... That's also a valid point. Oh, I cannot even imagine. This whole thing just looks disgusting. And it's... You can tell it's just wet and everything is stained and dirty and disgusting. And also, you can tell there's some electrical because there's cords running everywhere. But it makes me think there's cords all over the floor. I'd be terrified if any water got on the floor. I know. You're like, cool, am I going to get electrified am i gonna get i don't know mold poisoning at this point and just going back to the fact that jennifer was only in there for two months but even two months in i don't want to spend two minutes space, in here this is disgusting it's gross and he obviously made it as gross as he possibly could and aside from the bathtub and the uh, makeshift toilet the only thing that they had to sleep on was kind of like a wood crate with like this really crappy foam mattress thing and so that's all they had for that long. Anytime anybody was in there, not a great situation. And 
I mean, obviously, it's a the worst situation you could possibly be in, but the whole setup of this just makes it a million times worse. If you already didn't feel hope at that point, you're feeling completely like that room is just depressing. Like you oh, just feel totally. depressed looking at it. So well, and you really you don't realize until you're looking at these pictures how dark it is. I mean, when you said it was underground, I thought I comprehended, you know, kind of what that would feel like, but it is so dark in these pictures and I just think you don't realize two months without seeing sunlight would be oh yeah dismal oh yeah I don't know how you manage to even function at that point you're just kind of surviving I feel like so John had clearly planned this out in great immense detail and as it turned out Jennifer had not been his first victim but what third victim wait what yeah and so kind of going back to the point you made about like he gained this confidence really quickly. <laughs> it oh, actually well, now I look dumb. Edit that out, Lucy. <laughs> no, no, you made a good point. And I kind of said it out that way. But like, um, yeah, Jennifer had been his third victim by that point. And so. So no wonder he's feeling more and more confident. Yeah, exactly. And once again, I just want to reiterate, none of the victims' names were ever released. Even Jennifer's name was actually just a pseudonym. It wasn't her real name. Okay. And so they were just protected for privacy reasons and things like that, since most of them were, as you'll find out, underage. So in 1988, John had kidnapped his first victim, which was a 14-year-old Native American girl whom he had held captive in his dungeon bunker for over a year. A year? A year. Yeah, in that space. And like Jennifer... He eventually took the girl home and threatened to hurt her family if she ever told anybody. So she didn't. She she told her parents that she had just run away. She'd been gone for a year. Oh, and yeah, that makes me so horrible. sad for her that she didn't even like she, she didn't couldn't even, even talk confide to you. I in know, her parents. Seriously, so it's she's like, just dealing with all this mental trauma by herself. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, as if this monster hadn't already taken enough from her and had her suffer enough. Now he had convinced her to just keep it to herself and. That's got to be just the most terrifying feeling. And once again, you know he's still out there and you now know that he knows where you live. Yeah. I mean, you're living in constant fear. Yep. And so that was his first victim. And as far as I know, John didn't strike again until 1995 when he abducted a 14-year-old Latino girl. And this time, John kept his victim for, any guesses? Six months? Two years. (gasps) What? Yeah. two years yep she was in here for the longest out of everybody but yeah it was just two years of mental physical abuse rape confinement to the small awful dirty dungeon and once again john eventually wanted to swap out abductees and although she had been threatened to not tell anybody this victim had actually confided confided in her family and so yes i know get him girl but get him (laughs) For whatever reason, her parents decided to not go to the police. So I don't know if it's Yeah, but maybe he was telling, maybe he was using that same ploy of like, this is a police ring, you know. Oh, that I'm would sure make me terrified if, to if go to the police. If he had told her similar things that he had told Jennifer, I'm sure it was. And that's exactly what my thoughts were. You know, I don't know if it was because they were scared for their own lives. I mean, he had threatened her 
that she that he would kill her family if yeah. he found out that they had told anybody or if they didn't even think that the police would believe them. We don't have an answer on that. But the family later reported that they actually saw John drive past their home in his car multiple <gasps> times for several weeks after releasing her. So I think that probably also had a big part of it because it's like, oh my gosh. cool, we know what this guy is capable of. We're just going to try and stay away from it as much as possible. I would, oh, my house would be up for sale like the next yeah, day. Yeah, I would I'm be out. gone. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. So shortly after releasing his second victim, John abducted a 53-year-old Vietnamese woman who he had kept for a year. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This guy. Big age gap though. You're yeah, going I mean, from even like 14 year old girls. He's age, ethnicity all over the place. With all this over guy. the place, yeah. And yeah, that's a huge gap from 14 to 53 big jump so Holy something clearly cow. just clicked and he's like we're gonna try it was almost just like whoever now. was available pretty much so he had her for a year and then like every other victim i mean he had abused her physically mentally everything and after that year he dropped her off at a bus station with 50 dollars, told her to go wherever she needed to so unlike his first two victims she went to the police at a girl yeah good for her but police reported that she hadn't given them hardly any information. They had nothing to go off of. And so they just closed the investigation. So I don't understand. How did she not give them enough information? Because once again, she didn't know his name. She didn't know where he oh. lived. She didn't have any information on him. But I feel like I probably wouldn't close this investigation. I would be looking into other cases of missing people. I don't know. Just at this point, I feel like... It is hard, too, because it's almost like you said earlier, if this had been, like, teenagers repeatedly, you know, or, like, yeah. abducted in the same area, you, if there were more common things kind of grouping this together, yeah. maybe it would have flagged them sooner. But he is all over the place in how long he keeps them in the age of people he takes. Like, yep. it's and, all over the place. And she was the first person to report it. So, I mean, they didn't have any other... People come and say to, like, that this it happened, to. you know. But yeah, they basically just closed it, said they didn't have enough information. And she later on said, though, that she really didn't think they even believed her story. She was, mm. you know, she was kind of, she was a Vietnamese lady. She was older. They were like, they're like, you're just making this up. Like, you ran away and you want a good reason to tell your boyfriend because her boyfriend had actually reported her missing when she was gone. Oh, and that so, makes me so sad. I know. He was looking for her. Yeah, he was. He was looking. He had told the police, but that that was basically it. So she said they didn't really believe him and that's or really really didn't believe her, and that's just kinda how it ended for her case. Now jump to three years later, that's when John abducted Jennifer, which was right after his wife had passed away from cancer. So he took a three year hiatus. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this guy is doing all these terrible things while his wife is going through cancer. Yep. She was upstairs home because she had cancer. She was so sick. She was just at home all the time. And she, yeah, it was all happening just right under her. So, Oh, my gosh. This guy is a He has no soul. And I can't even imagine what a monster. being his wife either. I just... She had to... Have, I mean, obviously, he had a teenager girlfriend that he had an affair with. So like she knew he was messed up but i just i feel sad for dorothy because she was clearly i'm Poor sure dorothy trapped in a lot of ways as well but so it was after three years and after she had passed away that he abducted jennifer whose story we already talked about and then lastly mika 
and it's unknown if John had any other victims. Authorities actually checked his home and property for bodies just to be sure, but they didn't find anything. But the five who did come forward eventually, because the few in the beginning didn't ever, you know, come and actually tell the police anything, but they all told very similar stories of the torture that he inflicted. So one especially creepy detail that they all confirmed that he had made them do was that Jamelski forced them all to keep a diary. And he basically had a tracking system for what they had done each day with three different letters. So if they wrote a B for that date, it meant bathed. T was for brushed teeth and S was for sex for the days that they were raped. He was very methodical to his madness. Like, I don't know. I've never heard of a kid number doing that before. Yeah, I just don't even understand the purpose behind that. I don't know, because he was kind of like a control freak. And I'm almost like, okay, is it for you to make sure that you have like these things all checked off every day? So I don't know. Or maybe it was more of a mind game to like, I don't know, to be like, to make them focus on those specific things. I don't know. Uh, yeah, but it was it was just like a weird, creepy detail to me. Like besides everything else, he made them keep track of it. So um, inside the bunker, police also found a crucifix hung above the steel door with the words "Peace to all who enter here." What? Yeah, that's actually so back to your like the opposite of the what's Bible going to comment. Happen. It kind of brought me back to that and that thing is no haven it's not a spa are you kidding me no it's literal hell and so it became very quickly as police were talking to john that he didn't think he had done anything wrong and in fact he told police that it was all consensual he was helping them out and he had actually been a really positive influence and made a good impact on these girls i hope somebody punched him in the face right after he said that i mean i'm sure they would have been written up but as a police officer, I hope somebody took one for the team and just slugged him right and just in the like, face. And just like, yeah, let's <laughs> let's probably not say that way. Let's you just did pretend that one mercy. did. I don't know, but maybe I shouldn't have just, said that. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. We all know that we want to punch the bad guys, so it's okay. Before I finish up with this story, I just want to point out that at least two of the victims had basically been turned away from the police. And I think that this is probably one of the most frustrating aspects of many of the cases we all hear about, you know, that victims who do, you know, have drug problems or are deemed runaways are often just not taken seriously. They're not paid attention to when in fact, as we all know, if we've all listened to crime podcasts for forever, those are usually a lot of the people who are targeted specifically because of those things. And so I think that's what made it even harder because it's like, when you think about it at that point, Jennifer reported basically a very similar story and they didn't even go back and look at the Vietnamese lady's story and like connected the dots or anything. They just turned everybody away. Yeah. And I think also to kind of follow up on that, I think if you're a family member um, you know, make sure you don't let those types of things go. If that feels out of nature, even if they are dealing with some, some of their own demons, they've got their own problems. If, if they're dealing with stuff, but you're seeing something that's completely out of character, don't let things go. Because I can't tell you how many cases we read where it really is the family that's the driving case behind getting stuff solved. Oh, you yeah, know? For sure. And so I think that's a big part, too. And Jamelski actually later reported that he had sought out for those specific types of girls because he knew that they would be brushed off and that law enforcement probably wouldn't take them seriously if they ever did eventually report it. So that kind of also plays into the fact that why he was so cocky and confident in it that he kind of was like okay cool they're gonna go 
tell the police, but you're a druggie who's ran away before. Like, I think he kind of knew that that was how the system worked a little bit sometimes. That's awful. He took advantage of that. Yeah, exactly. And in a radio interview, Jennifer... Um, this was years after Jennifer said that the police chief who she had worked with actually came and visited her and he ultimately just apologized to her and she said that he was crying and he was just so sorry that he hadn't believed her and I'm glad he came and apologized to her I mean it's a little too late but at least he recognized it and speaking however of when Jennifer talked to the cops because if you remember, she had told him that specific car, right? Oh, yeah, the Mercury. Yeah, exactly. And it had actually turned out that she had told them the wrong year of Mercury Comet. So it was a Ford Mercury Comet. She had just told them the wrong year. And so they hadn't really done enough digging to widen their search. So they just looked for like that specific like year or two. But had they done that, Mika <clears throat> possibly never would have gone missing. Yeah, because... Jamelski, they would have seen if they had brought in their search that Jamelski did have a registered comment. It was just a different year. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. Because the one guy that did come up with having it, the one that they found had, had a 1994, not a 1995, but he was fine. They didn't find anything with him. So, I mean, they like looked into it. So if they would have just widened the, widened search, the search a little bit. Yeah. So that was also a little frustrating, but it's fine. John eventually agreed to a plea bargain for five counts of kidnapping, rape, and sodomy. He was sentenced to 18 years to life. And just because it's really close, I hate this part. He will be eligible for possibility of parole in 2021. I am feeling really ragey about that. It's making me feel a little stabby. (laughs) It's making me feel a little stabby. I just don't feel like... I feel like there shouldn't have even been a possibility I know, for parole. Even when you said 18 years to life, I'm like, can we get that maybe a little closer to life? Because specifically for me, the thing about it, he showed no remorse, Mm-mm. even years after like, like after he, was, he got caught. Yeah, he was just upset he got caught. But he didn't, when he even, he did get caught, he didn't think he was going to get a really long jail sentence. He thought he was going to maybe be in jail for a few days or something and oh be charged heck. for like wrongful imprisonment. And that was it. Yeah. And if deep down he really doesn't feel like he did anything wrong, what's going to keep him from doing this again? Exactly. Oh, I, I don't mean, like that. I don't like that he's up for parole. No, I know. it's over. I don't know if he'll get it or anything, but there is that possibility in 2021. So just so everyone knows. It also turns out that John was actually a millionaire, which... Wait, what? The man <laughs> with like yeah. floor-to-ceiling bottles? Exactly. I was That was my thing. I was like, I'm not sure why he was collecting bottles. And, and like the grocery store coupons. Yeah. Coupons. He was just <laughs> a major like... He just, he focused on being frugal and it was just a weird obsession for him. But he was actually really rich because he had inherited money and then he had also sold the land around his house. Um, everything outside the weird fence. Yeah, everything outside you the know? weird fence. He sold that to developers and so that's when they built all the like neighboring houses. So he I actually had a lot so of money. shocked by that. And he couldn't afford a nicer freaking toilet for his I know. dungeon. Yeah. He couldn't afford it. I don't know if he cared about the. I'm just of saying, the like, you look at that thing and you're like, yeah, that does look like a bunch of garbage but he collected it, off the street. It does make sense because if he Ooh. was super financially strapped, where would he have gotten the cash to make that massive fence? And also that bunker, because if you have still doors aren't cheap, I'm just saying, and like, that had to be pretty I, extensive construction. So, if, well, if you're, I guess for me, I'm like, well, if you're going to spend the money to get steel doors, could they at least have more than like a one inch foam mat I know, to sleep especially on? Especially if you think you you're loser. doing them like a favor by taking Gosh. them. Uh, 
So Rant over. luckily, though, this money was divided between all five of his victims. So, oh, yeah. Okay. Which clearly doesn't even come close to compensating these girls and women for everything that they went through. Not even close. But, no, but I feel like so much of the time people walk away with nothing. Yeah. So I'm at least so I'm, I'm happy they were yeah, compensating something. And to me, I'm like, I'm glad that, you know, this penny pincher lost what was clearly most important to him Mm -hmm. because money was obviously like a really big thing so i'm like i'm glad that was taken away from him and given to the people that he hurt so that is the story of john jamelski and he was actually nicknamed the syracuse dungeon master so if you've ever heard of that before that's him but long story short people if you see your neighbors building a creepy black fence around their yard and you know digging a mysterious bunker under the house you should probably be suspicious (laughs) it's true and also if your family member is going down to their secret bunker for hours at a time and there's not a football game on obviously there's there's an issue they're probably doing some weird crap so just just be just be aware be aware be aware but that's the story so pretty freaky case i didn't like it i do like that all of them got away i mean i'm glad it could have been it could have been worse but not by much you know what i mean because those people still have to deal with all the effects from that and i can't even begin to comprehend what that must have been yeah i actually am really happy that they got that settlement though that just kind of i don't know that made me feel a little bit better yeah that's our story for today so on a much lighter happier sweeter note we're going to jump into our carb conclusion for these rice krispies carbs corner okay now that you've eaten them how do you love my simple masterpiece i love them i kind of didn't know what to expect but they are it's exactly like you said it's a rice crispy with some like good yummy cookies and cream flavor to it but i don't know it's not it's not really a flavor you can anticipate it was it was really good yeah i love them and it's something that i make all the time just because it takes literally five minutes they're a little bit addicting. I'm just going to throw that disclaimer in now. I still had some in my in my fridge for like two weeks after. And I found Tanner going back and eating them. And I was like, dude, don't do that. And he's like, if you warm them up, they're still fine. And I was like, should it cost like $5 to make them? Let's just make more. It's great. It's cool. So this recipe I actually found on Pinterest forever ago, which I know it's like Pinterest. It wasn't original. I'm not an original cook. I can't do anything. I'm not okay. like Aaron. Whoa, now nobody can... dog on Pinterest because where I'm would we all be without Pinterest? Pinterest. I'm just I love it that you are a masterful chef and can come up with stuff. I cannot. So I'm just gonna go over the ingredients really fast, just in case you want to go find it. I'm gonna put this recipe on our website. So it calls for five tablespoons of butter. I'm just going to throw this in here. I used probably closer to eight tablespoons of butter (laughs) just because I also use more marshmallows because it calls for nine cups of mini marshmallows, but I usually end up putting probably 10 or 11. And so I feel like if you put extra butter, it makes it more creamy and it melts a little easier. So that's just my personal thing. It's five cups of crispy cereal and 16 Oreos cookie, I said that weird, 16 Oreo cookies crushed, but I would probably actually put closer to 25 Oreos. I just like... So basically, what Lucy's telling you is she basically doubles the recipe. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) But you still get the same amount because it's the same amount of Rice Krispie cereal. <laughs> it's just so double everything. It's but just the cereal. extra gooey and marshmallowy goodness. That's pretty much how it is. But I'll put up 
how you go through those steps and yep that's it but it is really good and if you need a fast treat i would definitely try it they are delightful i like that some pieces have like huge pieces of cookie it's so divine it's nom noms it's also a really great movie snack i know everybody's inside watching lots of movies right now because that's just how it is also because it's winter and can i just say i'm really happy that it's winter because that means i can layer up in blankets and millions of sweaters and be perfectly content in my chunkiness me too hey you should you should tell them like how thick these are though because i think when i've made rice krispies they're like thinner you know maybe more like store-bought a instead of using a nine by 13 pan i use a what is it an eight by eight nine by nine whatever they are the square ones and that actually makes it so that they're a lot thicker which i love because if you've ever been to disneyland you know that their rice Rice krispie treats are massive yeah these are like that's kind of how these uh, are what three inches okay again we can't estimate but (laughs) these are like a pinky they're a pinky tall okay Oh, and keep in mind, I have man they're hands. probably about so that So when size. I say I, they're yeah. a pinky tall, they're like a man pinky tall. So that's something, right? Aaron does not have man hands. I do. Aaron has perfect piano playing hands. If you've seen the sign, hands. okay, that's, that's a kind way of saying you have Do you play the piano? Hands. No. <laughs> okay, never mind then. I'm skillless. So if you've seen the Seinfeld episode about man hands, you'll understand. <laughs> and now if we ever do like a photo shoot, I'm going to have like my hands in my pockets. So, so they're in there. That's a great show by the way if you haven't watched Seinfeld you should watch it also that's the only reason we have Hulu is so we can watch Seinfeld but I discovered a new show on Hulu just throwing this out there have you ever seen Killing Eve no no okay well Sandra Sandra, okay well you should get it now because it's like this spy show with these really cool ladies like Sandra Oh from Grey's Anatomy Christina is in it and it's fantastic because it's a very different role for her so it's really good you should watch it anyways Make these Rice Krispie treats. They're amazing. And they're super easy. So they if the yummy. sugar cookies were a little too hard for you, you can try <laughs> this instead. And that's I like that. I like that we actually offer recipes and things on like different levels. For we every level. everybody. We measure that level by Aaron level versus Lucy level. Oh, so geez. for all the Lucy levelers, <laughs> this is perfect for you. Make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook for updates on our podcast. And also just because that would be really much appreciated by us <laughs> if you followed us. <laughs> that sounds really beggy, but I don't really care at this point. I don't care either. Please. <laughs> Also, Aaron posts some really funny memes sometimes. So I do, huh? Yeah. That one about Dr. Pepper. Uh. It was it was great. And <laughs> oh, wait, please, you haven't seen Taken, so forget it. You Taken. don't understand. I still need to watch that. A new Liam Neeson movie came out. Anyways, that's not the point. Random tangent. Um, also, we've been saying to like listen to our podcast and leave a comment or rate it, but please also hit the subscribe button. That would be fantastic. And that's really probably the most important thing. Yeah, (laughs) that helps us out a lot. All these little things that you're like, well, I guess I could take 10 seconds to do it. It makes our hearts and souls sore. So happy. (laughs) Also, I found out I don't have any friends. I don't have as many friends who like true crime that I actually was aware of. Yeah. So please share with people. That would be great. But we love you guys. We appreciate your support. And make sure to fight crime and eat carbs. See you next time.